Hello and welcome to A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back and positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs that fall within a different set theme every episode. Choosing from any song part that gives me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy a record, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician, and check out all of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email address at gofuckyourself.cock and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you and check out some new music, some old music, great YouTube interviews, anything rocking and entertaining, I love it all. And if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two and subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit the website www.arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlists of each episode, past episodes and some other golden magic. Also, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and here we go. I couldn't think of a better topic to kick off my little podcast than listing my favourite build-up song intros of all time. Of course, there are songs that have great intros on drums, bass, keys, vocals and guitar, etc. And we'll probably get to them another time. But these songs all build up to a point and then release some amazing musical ejaculate in my ear crumpet. So without any more vulgarity, let's dive in and see what's squelching around in there. Episode 1, Building Intros. My first choice was almost my favourite from my list, but I wanted to start super strong, so I'm popping this one on first. It starts with the guitar and bass playing a pentatonic riff in E in unison, then the drums join in on the snare and toms and build up to a key change for the second riff. This tune has three of my favourite riffs ever in it. Great heavy grooves, all written by their mountain bike mad bass player, Tim Comerford. Track one from album one from Rage Against the Machine, Bomb Track. about rock star excess in the 80s and the seemingly easy life it brings in comparison to real work. The singer wrote it after overhearing a conversation in a shop in New York City. Here's ACDC's Brian Johnson chatting to Mark Knopfler. MTV was just coming out. It was just thing and there you came out with a song that with a, a riff that was so hypnotic and catchy and I mean it had everything. Uh, you got Sting singing at the start of it, you know, I want my MTV. It had everything you should ever need. 
And yeah. Tell you what happened, Brian. We're actually making the record in Montserrat. And I said to the band, actually, I'd said, we're making money for nothing. Uh, I said, I wish Sting was here, because I'd lifted a line from Don't Stand So Close To Me. Yeah. I want my MTV, don't stand so, so close, close what, to me. Whatever it was, you know. I just happened to remark, I said, oh, I wish Sting was here to sing this line. And he said, well, he's here on holiday. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> no. And he, yeah, and he came straight up the studio, and, and he sang great. He did the whole thing great. It was just wonderful. You picked up on the fact that, you know, working jaws, just like my father, who used to wonder how the heck you can make any money playing yeah. this music. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, that's the way you do it. That's the way you, you know, do it. You, you only get it a little blister on his little finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I was actually in, a, in an appliance store in uh -huh. New York, and, and I, there was this big check shirt and, you know, Bruiser. Yeah. <laughs> and he's in there, he's delivering some stuff on a little trolley with, you know, and uh, all the TVs in the back of the store were all tuned to MTV. Yeah. And he's standing there, you know, with his, you know, and he's holding forth about, um, in very colourful terms, yeah. about all the <laughs> he couldn't put it. people, as I'm sure your dad did. Yes, sir. Uh, actually, I started spying on him between some microwaves. You know, like just, I didn't want him to see me and put him off. But all those lines like, that ain't working, that's the way you do it, them guys ain't dumb. He said, maybe get a blister on your little finger. I, you know, he actually said that. And I thought, how oh, brilliant. He says, what's that? He goes, Hawaiian noises. He actually said that. And so it was so classic that I, I went and asked for a bit of paper and a pen and I sat down in the kitchen display area and started... <laughs> On the street, and I started writing the song right there and then. This song is a Grammy-winning, US number one, offensive name-calling, eight-minute-long, Les Paul with the tone knob turned down, Sting singing 80s glory of Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Okay, next up is the opening track to side two of one of the biggest debut albums ever. Random guitar nerd fact, this was the only song that the guitarist didn't use a Les Paul that he's famous for on this album. He actually played an SG. 
and the lyrics are a true story about a girl who actually liked the honesty of the song and eventually cleaned up her life with one of the most brutal opening lyric lines ever. Here's the intro for My Michelle by Guns N' Roses. Axl Rose's short fill-in stint with ACDC, these next two singers have both had two huge bands and well-received solo and side projects. This first one is a short and great example of the art of building an intro. As a pointless and worthless note, this song's title is not in the chorus. It only shows up once in the first line. I got you, split ends. up is a great song overall, one of my favourites, with a great building intro. The singer wrote it and called it a Sonic Youth ripoff and penned it when he was sleeping in a sleeping bag on a friend's floor, having just gotten divorced, and as a consequence was semi-homeless. On top of that, he had no access to his bank account. Both his drummer and guitarist were on the verge of leaving the band. In the midst of all this, he wrote this love song in about 45 minutes. On May 20, 2015, the band performed this song on Dave Letterman's final episode. Here's Dave Grohl explaining what the song means to him and the band and a great Bob Dylan story relating to the song. This song, I think, is the one song that most people sort of identify this band with. Over the years, and it was one of those songs that wasn't supposed to go on the record, wasn't written for the record, we, felt, we thought we were done with the record, but we had this little idea, and I went and made a demo of it and brought it back to the band. And I honestly think that if it weren't for this song, we probably wouldn't still be here because it opened up so many doors for us, melodically, dynamically, 
it sort of gave us a reason to keep being a band for 12 or 13 more years. And, and every once in a while you write a song like that and you think, okay, man, I guess, you know, we can keep doing this because it still means something to us. And that's the most important thing. And actually, I think the one thing that I probably, if you could ask me one of my highlights of being in this band in the last 15 years. We were on tour with Bob Dylan, opening up for him with our acoustic thing. And about two or three days into the tour, someone came up and said, hey Dave, uh, Bob wants to talk to you. And I was like, Bob who? He said, Dylan, he wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? Did I say something wrong or what? He's like, no, 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 just, he's right over there. So I look in the mirror, make sure I look good, you know. And I walk down the hallway and they're like, yeah, he's just right around that corner, he's right there. It was in this hockey arena in Canada. So I look around the corner and it's this dark hallway and there he is. I just see his silhouette and he's standing against a wall and he's got on a black leather jacket, black hoodie, black leather pants, and black leather boots. And he's standing there in the dark. I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> so I walked up and I said, hey, man. He said, hey, how's it going? Thanks for being on the tour. He was a really nice guy. And we were talking and talked about his book and stuff. And then he said, uh, he said man, what's that song that you guys got? It says, uh, um, only thing I ever ask of you is not to promise, not to stop. When I say when, and I said, oh yeah, that song Everlong. He's like, he goes, he goes, man, you gotta show that to me. I, I want to start doing that song. I just thought, you know what? I'm done.
Next up's a bit of a change of vibe, but I love this intro. A random weird medieval guitar bit at the start that when researching this, I learnt was actually called Henry, which is a great name for a tune and also a good name for a dog. It doesn't appear to have anything else to do with the rest of the song except fart some 70s excess in the air before the main event starts. Then 12-string guitar, mandolin, one of the great melodic bass parts, two snares and you're there. Random fact, this song is actually a B-side recorded in two takes with the cymbals having to be overdubbed later as the studio drum kit had no cymbals. This was produced by the singer, written by the singer about a true sexual liaison, his first at age 16 to an older and larger woman in a beer tent. And Rolling Stone ranked the song at number 131 on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Here it is, Rod Stewart's Maggie May. Australian songs now that more than qualify for great building intros. The first one is another album opening track from this band's biggest selling album and starts with a 2,000 pound bronze bell being hit. The bell wasn't ready in time for the recording so the manufacturer arranged for them to record on a similar bell at a nearby church. According to the engineer that didn't go too well as there were birds living in the bell so when they rang it they also got the fluttering of wings and then the birds would retreat back inside the bell after the toll. This song is a handing over of the vocal duties from Brian Johnson after the untimely death of the great Bon Scott, Lady and Gentleman, Hell's Bells, ACDC. Thank you. 
Next up is a great build-up, which is definitely tipping of thy hat to the before-mentioned ACDC and the Stones too a bit, but still a great example of a building intro. The singer's rock and roll, yeah, is up there with the best of all time, Jet, Cold Hard Bitch. Next one is close to perfect for my ears. Another opening track from a classic record, one of the great super underrated creative guitar players ever. It starts with a moving organ and subtle guitar part, then a brilliant delayed guitar line, then a simple and great drum and bass part join in to build this masterpiece. The guitarist demoed the music in an upstairs room in his newly purchased home on a four track tape machine, recording an arrangement of keys, bass, guitar, and a drum machine. The album sessions were approaching the end and the band were short on exceptional live songs. He wanted to conjure up the ultimate U2 live song, so he imagined what he would like to hear at a future U2 show if he were a fan. After the rough mix, he felt he had come up with the most amazing guitar part and song of his life. Bono wrote the lyrics down on a paper air sickness bag while in Ethiopia. The producer estimates that half of this classic album's session time was spent trying to record a suitable version of this song, and it all seems very worthwhile. That album is The Joshua Tree, and the band is obviously U2, and the song is Where the Streets Have No Name.
Next is another Australian song from a band I absolutely adore from their first record. Hear their smoke bomb of a singer explain how she didn't like the recorded version of the song at first and a bit about this perfect piece of rock pop intro magic. Is it true that it was your least favourite when it was released? Yes, it is true. I kind of begged the producer and the label to not put it on the record. Why? I just would... I think it was... This record, the song started off as a, like, a real country sort of ballady kind of song when I wrote it, and then it turned into something else. It kind of morphed while we were recording it, but I'd had that in my head that it was my least favourite song. But once we did it, you know, we spent a lot of time working on it in the studio. Dave, Leslie doing that intro guitar part yeah. that is kind of synonymous with that song. Everyone knows that intro. He, it took him a really long time to do that. And, he, and we would like, we got hardcore, play it again, play it again. Mike Chapman was very, like the, the commander, <laughs> making him play it again and again. So he played it till his fingers bled, literally. One word, the baby animals. one is by far the shortest intro at about three seconds and needs no words or introduction. Now we go from the shortest intro to the longest intro at about two and a half minutes. On his inspiration for writing the song, the singer said, the song's about a friend of mine who goes to college. When that song was written, he was pretty sad. He was living in his bedroom. I told him, You've got to get the hell out of the house. He said, man, if I only had a girl, she'd make me forget all my problems. And I just said, well... The singer has also stated that the song was inspired by Keith's 1972 song Happy from the Rolling Stones' great album Exile on Main Street. This intro just doesn't know when to let up and it's all the better for it. I need a lover, John Cougar.
pussying around. I've stroked your hair. Now I'm going to insert a thumb. 14 palm mutes of power. Windsock by Body Jar. next song was a massive 70s hit for a guy who had broken up his successful band Steeler's Wheel who had the big song stuck in the middle with you. I always thought this was an American band but the internet says they're Scottish. Thanks internet. His first musical duo was with the amazingly funny Billy Connolly. The famous sax part in this song was meant to be sung and was also played on guitar in an earlier demo. Jerry Rafferty's Baker Street. interesting to have a quick listen to a bit of this song called Half a Heart by Steve Marcus, released in 1968, about a decade before Baker Street came out. enter Cockrock Corner for two of my favourite examples of leather-covered, banana-smuggling, Cockrock album opening glory. The first example is the album's title track and track one to this band's second album. This song was them making a statement that we are a harder band than you think and set the tone for the rest of the album. 
We wrote the record in my basement in New Jersey and also our drummer Rob Afuso's house. That's where we wrote the album. The song Slave to the Grind, the title track, that made the record is actually the demo that we cut. The rest of the record is its, is its own record. And then we tried, we, we did cut Slave to the Grind like in, in that session, but nothing, when you press play, there was something magical about that demo that we couldn't capture for some reason. And when everybody went home, all the band members went home, I was still in LA goofing off, partying a little too much. Michael Wagner brought me to the studio. He goes, okay, this is it, man. Here's the title track. Here's Slave to the Grind, the title track. Here it is, I'm gonna play it for you. This is amazing. I go, okay, man, I'm ready. And you played it for me. And then the song ended and he goes, what do you think? I go, that's good, dude. Still not as good as a demo. He goes, I know. Slave to the grind, Skid Row. Trouserland for one more great example. This is this classic band's biggest charting song in the US and opens their fifth album, and the drum groove is mad good to my ears. The song shares this album's title, and the production still sounds bombastically huge after 30 years. Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich recruited Bob Rock to produce their self-titled 1990 album after being impressed by Rock's production work on this record. Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood. This song was written by Tom Petty and Mike Campbell. Tom Petty was meant to be the original producer for this artist album, but opted out. Their mutual new producer asked the guys if he could offer the song to her for the album. The track was a fully realized and recorded Heartbreakers song, which ended up as a duet and released under her name. Stevie Nicks, Stop Dragging My Heart Around.
I said, Dad, I, I, I said, Dad, yeah, well, Dad, what am I supposed to? And yeah. it, it works. Creative writing, right? You ever take that? Just yeah. write, and then you have to ego, you make dashes and exclamation points. So you, when you read it, uh, I tell you, I just barely got through school at all. It was just, uh, <laughs> you come nothing on my English was about as deep as it goes. Some of the audio in the YouTube clips is a little bit shithouse, so bear with me. I am saving up for a time machine to go back in time and supply them with better mics. And you can help me out by logging on to gofundyourselfyoucomplainingfundwit.com forward slash poop and we'll see what we can do. The singer and writer of this next song shares lead vocals on the track with members of his band. It was originally conceived to be a three-part vocal harmony, but it was later decided to separate out the voices that start each verse. Distinct scratching and explosion noises heard in the track later were added to cover mistakes during the recording. Some music critics have suggested that Phil Collins' 1985 song Susudio sounds very similar to this song, released in 1982. Collins himself confirmed this claim and remembers listening to it frequently while on tour with Genesis. Just as a side rabbit hole, let's check out what Dave Chappelle thinks of critics in his 2020 Emmy Award acceptance speech. Take it, Dave. I mean, I read all the reviews and they said so many terrible things. They were embarrassed for me. I had lost my way. It wasn't even worth watching. I hope all you critics learn from this. This is a teachable moment. Shut the fuck up forever. Thanks, Dave. Anyway, back to the song I was talking about with the three-part harmonies. The album version of this song starts with a slowed-down voice stating, Don't worry, I won't hurt you. I only want you to have some fun. 1999, Prince. Don't worry, I won't hurt you. I only want you to have some fun. Here's Prince's drummer at the time, Bobby Z, chatting about the inspiration behind the song. 
Very interesting story about 1999, the song. We were traveling at the tail end of, of, uh, of the Dirty Mind album, and um, there was a hotel sign, and it said, Free HBO. That was a big deal. So everybody got to their room, turned on HBO, and there was a HBO documentary about Nostradamus and the prediction of the end of the world, 1999, 1999. And we're all blown away by this thing. You could feel it in the hotel rooms. They were just glued to the TV. So, of course, like normal people do, the, the next day, the water cooler talk is, did you see... And for Prince, he had written this song. So there explains the difference between mere mortals and Prince. So we're all going, wow. And then he just embodied the whole thing with 1999, the next day. This next Aussie nugget comes in pretty hot for a building intro, but it's so good, so it's in. I really love the one chordness of the riffs. Great lyrics, great vibe, great solo, great band. Raise the alarm, the living end. Another Melbourne band with a great building intro. Hay Driver, Motor Race. for a bit. Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea was born in Melbourne and here's their great intro for Can't Stop. 
three of these guys have already appeared in this rabbit hole, but they formed a new band with another great singer and once again picked up a great building intro to introduce a new band to the world. Another debut album's opening track. It's worth checking out the film clip of this beast as the intro is great on the tally too. Audio Slave, Cochise. is about a $12 jacket that the singer owned and how the scene he was involved in had been turned into a popular marketing tool. It was never released as a single, but it's a live favourite. I have always loved the line, I would rather starve than eat your bread. A simple and great building intro, which the singer proclaimed at a 2004 show in Boston was... This was uh, Johnny Ramone's favourite song of ours. Corduroy by Pearl Jam. guitarist wrote this next song and the title and main lyric was hit me based on fights he had with his girlfriend the lyric was come on hit me i'm not afraid in a rare show of restraint their wild singer insisted on changing it to touch me the doors Come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe Can't you see that I am not afraid What was that promise that you made Why won't you tell me what she said What was that promise that you made now The next choice is actually two songs from the same band I couldn't split these two songs up as they are both excellent examples of the build. I did want to limit the choices to one per band, but some genres and artists definitely have an appetite for construction when it comes to intros. Both of these songs are track ones again, and I'll start with this one.
So obviously the first track was Battery and the second track was Enter Sandman by Metallica. The title Battery refers to Battery Street in San Francisco. It was on this street that many of the clubs where Metallica first played were situated. The lyric, Battery is found in me, shows that these early gigs on Battery Street were important to them. Enter Sandman was another statement song for launching a new album with a big direction change from the band's previous album and Justice For All. The single went on to sell over one million copies and give guitar teachers and guitar shop staff all over the world repeat riff grief until this day. Hear the band explain a bit about the riff. All the songs are from day one were usually based around a riff. You get a good riff, that's, the, that's pretty much the meat of the song. And you're kind of adding things on to it as you go along. And, and the, uh, the riff is the spine of the whole song. The first song that we um, tackled was this great riff. This first is my, riff. It's my riff. Your first riff you ever wrote? Yeah, the first riff I ever wrote. <laughs> good. Uh, that's good. I wrote it at like 3 o'clock in the morning. I was all fired up and I, I said to myself, I'm going to write a really heavy riff that's heavier than anything. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> and that's, well, and but, that's how it didn't happen. <laughs> and that's not the story. The riff that's on the record and the way it exists today is not really the way he wrote it. He wrote like this riff that was like kind of one thing and then what we call a tail. So it was like one and one and one and one and one and one. Quite the original way it was. Would have been a whole different story. Yes. Well, still be living in the East Bay. <laughs> I came up with the idea of changing it around so it would become, you know, three and then the tail. So I repeated the front part. This next one's just a little different because it has vocals in the intro as well. And it was written by the band's lead singer when he was working as a bellman at a casino in Las Vegas. The great breakdown of this song features the Sweet Inspirations gospel vocal group who were founded by Sissy Houston, the mother of Whitney Houston. The Sweet Inspirations sang with Elvis and provided the backup vocals for Van Morrison on his classic hit, Brown Eyed Girl. I don't want you to know this story, so I'm gonna tell you this story. I'm at Cooning over here in this dreamboat in 2001. This is before, before either of us had cell phones. And I worked at this little casino called the Gold Coast Hotel and Casino. And, uh, Dave had an answering machine. I used to, you know, I'd take people's bags to their rooms and I'd store their bags and I'd hum songs in my head and try and come up with ideas. And, ideas on Dave's answering machine and then we would take them and mold them and shape them later on and turn them into songs. And at that time I was real heavy, heavily into like Transformer from Lou Reed and, and Hunky Dory and David, David Bowie and stuff like this. And I had this idea, this kind of talking monotone thing and I thought it was going to be great. And so I called Dave's phone and I said, don't pick up Dave, I got this idea. Help me out. Yeah, yeah. 
sort of all got our hands on it and it ended up being nothing like Transformer or Hunky Dory. But uh, that's how this song was born and we're gonna play it for you. The killers, all these things that I have done. is a 2020 Grammy-nominated song from a Grammy-nominated album. Every song on this three-sided vinyl release is golden. This guy's the best singer out there at the moment, in my opinion. Simple, short, great intro. So good. This is too bad. Rival Sons.
that's the last of the intros before I get to my favorite in a bit. But I wanted to include a funny, crazy, or interesting story in each episode about one of the songs or artists. And today's story is about Rod Stewart. In his autobiography, ambitiously titled Rod, the Autobiography, along with his story I touched on earlier about Maggie May, Rod also dismisses an urban myth about himself. A story that his former publicist made up after he was fired by Rod. He explains, he fed the press a story in which, as a consequence of an evening spent orally servicing a gang of sailors in a gay bar in San Diego, I had been required to check into a hospital emergency room to have my stomach pumped. He continues, I have never orally pleasured even... (laughs) (coughs) I have never orally pleasured even a solitary sailor, and I have never had my stomach pumped. either of naval issue semen nor of any other kind of semen. Oh, God. Fuck. I read that about six or seven times and that take was the least amount of laughing. Apologies. Let's take a short break and quickly recap the magic before I get into my favourite for this week. So, here's the last of them, and the first choice for a few reasons, but I think it ticks so many boxes. It's from a debut album, an opening track, a single, it sets the mood for the album, a cool as fuck delayed guitar, oh my god, spoken by the singer and then a huge banshee scream, the super underrated groove drummer's hi-hat work with the always great and what's best for the song bass player, here's my choice for my favourite building rock and roll rabbit hole intro, Welcome to the Jungle, Guns N' Roses. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening and thanks to Rob Dean at Wax Off Studios for the podcast music and Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio for web and tech help, Simon Russell at Deep Switch Studios for additional tech help and Matt the Wombat Murderer O'Donnell for proof listening and general podcast format chattery. And as mentioned at the start, if you do want to tell me what I did wrong, could do better or got wrong in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, you can send me an email at I don't ever check this email at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin at geocities.com forward slash poop and I'll get back to you as soon as my taxes are up to date. But seriously, if you do have any suggestions or anything cool, hit me up at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com or Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. And if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two and subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit the website, www.arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlist of each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. To end the podcast, I'm going to add, when I can, an example of the topic that I enjoy from a lesser-known band who have had, say, less than 10,000 hits on Spotify or YouTube. This segment will be called Sub 10,000, and today features the song I am using for the intro of a rock and roll rabbit hole. This song is called Belgian Border by Cola Wars. Cola Wars were a Melbourne band featuring two members of Body Jar, Cam and Shane, and two other pricks. Sorry, Mikey. They put out a full-length record called Invader, and an EP called The Heartless Hype, which you can check out on Spotify. They also released a rocking demo called Denim Warrior under the name Daughters of the Rich, and Body Jar's wiki page says they also worked under the names William Shatner's Dax and the Nazi Synthesizers. Thanks again for checking out episode one. Episode two will drop in a week. See ya. <laughs>